Well, welcome back to another episode of The Andrew Giuliani Show. And as the holidays approach, you know, some of you may be saying, well, I miss and I want some love in my life. Well, I got to tell you, here on The Andrew Giuliani Show, we cover everything from international relations, what may be going on in Israel right now, to even, yes, your dating life and what could actually be. Now, I've got a very good friend of mine here, somebody who I worked with closely in the White House. Uh, Dan Huff worked in the presidential personnel office in the White House. We served together on the U.S. Holocaust Board. And now he is one of the co-founders of The Right Stuff, a conservative dating app. Dan, how are you doing today? I am great. Thank you for having me. It's good to see you. Oh, of course, man. So look, tell me, and, and I got to be honest here, you know, I'm a married man. So normally when I get a subject, I really like to dig in and research it. But I figured with a dating app and a wife, I probably shouldn't be downloading the dating app. I have a lot of explaining to do, to quote, uh, you know, Desi Arnaz over there. Tell all of all of us, whether you're single, whether you're happily married like myself, what The Right Stuff is all about. So The Right Stuff is a dating app for conservatives. And what's neat about it is it's not just sort of for conservatives. It's better than the alternatives that are out there. I think that like after President Trump got kicked off of Twitter, there was some talk about how the conservatives really need an alternative sort of alternative tech. We need our, our own sort of separate universe where we control things. And so we thought, well, you know, they have YouTube, so we, you know, we need Rumble. And they have, they had Twitter. So, <laughs> you know, we need Parler or Truth Social. And we thought like, well, what can we, what can we build here that's sort of still missing? It was like dating apps. Yeah. And so uh, you know, we talked to Peter Thiel, loved the idea, and sort of got that started. But here was the thing. We were committed to not just simply making a clone of what they had. We didn't simply want to say, well, they have this, we have that. We wanted to make something that's even better. And so we thought, what can we add? What features can we input that will make this even superior to what's out there? Not simply ca play catch-up. Right. Conservatives have been playing catch-up with liberal tech for too long. Yeah. We need to leap ahead. So, yes, the data, it's a dating app for conservatives, but it's got some neat features you can't find anywhere else. So, for example, yeah. we have something we call post-date. Okay. Hey, I got two tickets to the Yankees game, you know, first baseline, who wants to go? And then people say, oh, I love the Yankees, et cetera, et cetera. And you get to pick whom you want to go with. Right. And so that's something that instead of, you know, people sitting at home swiping on a dating app, they actually get out on fun dates. So it's a dating app for conservatives. It's a lot of fun. And it's, you know, designed to really get you out on fun dates rather than simply, like, keep you on screen swiping. Right. So is that how you and Johnny McAtee came up with this idea? Was it really kind of looking at the light of kind of social media and how we've seen kind of so many social medias kind of be biased against conservatives and that's how it spawned up? Or how did the idea really spark up? So the short answer is it actually came from a friend of ours. Oh, nice. But it was sort of in this broader context. The first one was the broader context of, you know, the needing to have a, a sort of a separate economy mm -hmm. or a conservative economy. Right. And the second piece was, you know, and you remember, you know, at the White House after everything. And when you do something, it's ideas are very important. But I have a friend who says ideas are worth eight dollars. <laughs> What's really what it really is about is execution. Right. And we had, you know, your team and our, we had gr a great team at the mm -hmm. White House. And, you know, John and I talked and we thought we have got to keep this band together. Yeah. What are we going to do? Yeah. And so we actually took like several months to figure this out. And and you know how it is there. Like after you leave the White House, there's about six months when people will still take your calls. And like after that, like it's <laughs> true. Happen. So we thought, right, you know, we have a certain amount of time. Let's figure out what's good. And. Uh, you know, again, friend brought this up. It was in the broader discussion of like what the alternatives are out there. We thought, you know, actually this makes sense because the more we looked at it, the more we liked it. And we sort of had personal experience yeah. with problems dating as a conservative in like liberal DC. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I can't imagine. I was already, by the time I ended up coming into the White House, engaged to my wife. But, um, you know, 
DC for a conservative uh, makes New York look like it's, I don't know, Alabama or something like that in terms of, I think, three or 4% of DC ended up voting oh, for yeah. President Trump. So I can't imagine what it's like on the dating scene when it's like, you know, you talk about a small pond to fish from. It's a very, very small pond. It is. Trump. And I do tell a story, but I think I hold the record for the fastest date, the quickest date ever. I got to hear this. I was. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, working at the White House, I actually met somebody on some other app. All right. And and uh, so we meet up at this place called Mission in uh, in D.C., yep. the popular bar. And we're sitting there, and she sits down. And this is a very popular D.C. question. I always feel like, well, what do you do? Which, you know, I wish there was something else to talk about, but that's how it always <laughs> starts. And, uh, and so, you know, I said, well, you know, I work, I work in the White House for the president. And she sort of, you could see, like, she was rattled. And she's like, well, you know, do you? And I, I tried to kind of, like, move the conversation to something else. And and then she said, well, you know, do you, like, do you see him? I was like, yeah, you know, I see him. Not, not every day, but, you know, some frequency. And she literally got up and left. <laughs> like, this is two minutes in. This is two right. minutes in. She got up and left. We just like had some wine port. She just gets up and leaves. It was it was it was wild. And like I gotta say, like I mean that, that was strange. Like I do not like Joe Biden. I think yep. he's got terrible policies. If I met someone who was you know in the Oval with him, I, I would want to hear some stories yeah. at least. No, you know it is amazing actually, and, and never from a dating perspective, but. Uh, I saw that time and time again where people that I had known for a very long time, even a, a family member of mine, a distant family member, still just basically kind of said, we are disowning you because of this. Instead of actually wanting to sit down and have a conversation, which I offered to and saying, hey, look, this is why I believe President Trump and this administration uh, is doing a service to the American people. And I'd be interested to hear your perspective. Let's have a conversation and maybe I'll learn a couple things. Hopefully you'll learn a couple things and we'll be able to move the ball forward. But it seems like on the left, that doesn't really happen too much. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. As part of the research, when we first heard this idea, are we going to do this? Does this make sense? You know, we're putting a pitch deck together. We're doing our research. And we thought, all right, do we really need this? Do you need a conservative dating app? And so it turns out the answer is yes, absolutely, for two reasons. Because there is hostility towards conservatives, both on the platforms themselves mm -hmm. and um, uh, amongst the users. Yeah. So on the, on the platforms themselves, you've got... Uh, let's say Bumble, for example, very popular dating app. There was a period of time in 2020 when in order to use the app, you literally had to affirm support for BLM, for Black Lives Matter. Really? I, I mean, absolutely. There was a landing page when you open the app. And if you didn't affirmatively say, if you, you didn't confess the their lie, wow. right, then you, you weren't able to even use the app whatsoever. And so there's a lot of that. Like, again, you don't know dating apps, mm -hmm. but one thing that happens is, well, people will create these profiles and they, they can add uh, little stickers, things they like, oh, I skied, X, Y, Z, right? So they've got a bunch of stickers and they're all nudging people leftwards, LGBTQ ally, yeah. right? You know, uh, pro-choice. Mm -hmm. They don't have any conservative stickers. There's no second amendment, right? right? There's there's no pro-life. Yeah. And so it's just, it's, it's subtle and not so subtle things that the platforms do. Yeah. That's piece one. Piece two is it's very common to see, you know, Trump supporters swipe left, conservatives swipe left, no Republicans, right? Mm -hmm. And so I bring it up to say the connection to your previous point was that they've actually done statistical analysis because right now I'm giving you anecdotal stories. Right. But there's actually analysis have been done. I think Axios did a study pretty recently. And it turns out that 70, 70% of young uh, Democrats say they would not date a Republican. Really? 70. 70%. Yeah. And it's 30% the other way. Right. And I'm probably in that 30%. Yeah. <laughs> However, you know, the point being, as you said, on the left, it's they're much more angry and they're willing to essentially put politics paramount above all things. Right. 
have some theories as I, as I, why that might be. Maybe yeah. you do too. <laughs> we talk about it, but but sort of that is the world that we live in. Yeah, amazing. Just going back to that BLM point with Bumble. When you think about the fact that BLM are avowed Marxists, that's what these founders have said. Uh, when now you look back at that in light of them obviously posting what they posted after the Hamas terrorist attacks in Israel, that uh, that they would be pushing something as radical as that. So I guess I got to ask then. What's more emotional, politics or dating? That is a great question. <laughs> and, you know, it's funny. I, I asked a friend about that uh, recently, and she said to me, and her answer was, I've never lost any friends over a guy. <laughs> <laughs> Fair uh, enough. Yeah, I yeah, hear you. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, I hear that all the time. We, we were in a wife. We actually, we had an intern who literally was her best friend. Mm -hmm told her basically goodbye when she found out she was interning wow. at the at the Trump White House. Uh, so I think it's it's much more emotional on that. But I, I also think there's a, a difference, right? I think the emotion that you feel in relationships, it's more acute. There's sort of moments of acute irrationality. Yeah. You're drunk, you texted the ex, you should have done that. <laughs> okay, but but sort of later you're like, oh man, I really shouldn't have done that. Or even, you know, longer term, yeah, I was, you know, you'll hear people say, ah, oh, I was in this toxic relationship with this guy. It was so, but they sort of, they know better and they like realize, recognize the error of their ways. And even even if they are going to do it again, they at least know it's wrong. Like, oh yeah, I'm attracted to toxic guys, but like they know that they are. That's like not really a good thing. Um, I feel like when it comes to politics, people actually never recognize, yeah. rarely recognize the error of their ways. You know, you're voting Democrat in San Francisco year after year after year, and it's getting more and more disgusting and unlivable. And you sort of still keep doing it out of sort of this blind devotion. Mm -hmm. And that's something we say a lot actually about the, about you know when we talk about the app that politics is the new religion. Mm -hmm. And I think yeah. that's part that's in part true on the left, particularly because people need to feel belonging. They need mm -hmm. to feel broader purpose, part of something. And you know, as the religion has taken, you know, come out of the public sphere, yeah. as they've like worked to, you, know, you kind of say Merry Christmas stuff like that. Right. What's happened is they've had to replace it with something. Mm -hmm. And I think for a lot of people on the left, what they've replaced it with is their politics. Yeah, and I, that's why they're so ir irrational about it and and, unwor and unbending, even when there's like clear evidence of right. error. And it's also why I I say to you that it, verily that it is uh, that it is the case that politics is more emotional than relationships. And you know, wouldn't our public life be so much better? if actually, and I think probably part of this goes back to what we've seen in education over the last few decades, especially in higher education, but now I think seeping into K through 12, which is instead of teaching children how to critically think, how to logically break down a problem, look at all sides of the problem, figure out logically where you stand on it, but understand the other side of the argument. It's now emotion, emotion, emotion. Um, and that probably is a, a really, really good point. So what was the transition like? And I guess transition is probably the wrong word when we're talking about a conservative, conservative dating app. <laughs> what was it like moving from the White House to, uh, to being now the founder of a tech uh, enterprise? Well, you know, a lot of times, you, you know, you meet somebody who's, say, like a rock star or like yeah. a sports celebrity, something like that. And they'll say, oh, it's not like it is in the movies. When it comes to the White House, it's exactly like the movies. <laughs> I mean, it is, there's nothing like working there. The excitement, the crazy yeah. things that happen, you know, just day to day, what's going on, the things one's involved in. So there's sort of, there's it's it's tough, as short as a mm -hmm. short answer, to go from that to sort of the more monotony, the slower you know, burn of a project that can take time. And it took us, you know, probably a year to build the tech behind this. Right. So the the excitement level was very different. But I think, you know, what we liked about it was that, you know, when we were in the White House, we were able to do, you know, uh, 
some very you know impressive things, and we we're proud of doing that. And we able, in, rather than just having to sort of slot into some mundane type of activity afterwards, you know, it's obviously more risky what we're doing, but yeah. we felt that it has real purpose. And so I think that like that sense of purpose and that sense of uh, of doing something bigger. Uh, uh, we were able to cont- to maintain that, but obviously it was a it was a big uh, it was a, a bit of a shell shock, I think, compared to what we were doing. You know, I, I think in the other friends that I've talked to as well since you know moving on, uh, there really is no adrenaline l- rush like yeah. working in the White House, and exactly. it's very difficult to adjust after to yeah. that. Um, it's probably a lot of what professional athletes feel like once they retire, where you know you're you're out there performing in front of eighty thousand, fifty thousand people, you're at the height of government. Uh, in the world. And now all of a sudden, you know, you are working on something else, which is a fascinating project, but it's definitely a bit of a different, um, it's a, definitely a different thing. Right. And actually, you know, immediately after the, uh, the inauguration, I left DC that day Yeah, and I went up to my parents' place and I was thinking like, wow, I went from the Oval Office to my parents' couch. <laughs> 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 yeah, it's a uh, it's a, a brutal shock when yeah, you realize yeah, it, yeah. right? But no, what, what a wonderful time we had there, and uh, you know, I was very thankful. Yeah, I actually remember I drove up on the twentieth, and the first thing I did was I got my car inspected in New York on the the afternoon tour right before it closed up. And I remember thinking something similar to that, which is like, just in the White House this morning, and now I'm getting my car inspected. Right. So you know, how how the mighty fall, I guess. Um, so. Look, we've seen on social media, and you guys, we'll get into this a little bit more a little later, but you guys have done a tremendous job on advertising your product on social media. And uh, a good friend of yours, good friend of mine, John McAtee, one of the co-founders with you, we've seen his trials and tribulations on social media. It seems like the guy can't keep a date. He gets a date. He can't can't go to the next level with him. Any success stories from The Right Stuff? So actually, yes. I am proud to say we recently had our first marriage. Not engagement, like actual marriage. And John attended. They invited him and they thanked us uh, under the, you know, under the canopy. So that was, it was amazing. It was fantastic. And uh, in addition to that, we have seven other engagements. Oh, that's Uh, awesome. So it's a a great feeling and we're just really thrilled that that's happened. Yeah, that's wonderful. What a great, I mean, to see those success stories, yeah. it has to, you know, it has to really feel good knowing that, uh, that, you know, you guys were a part of kind of that, that union. It's interesting, you know, when you, when you do something, sometimes you're so in the weeds that you, you don't appreciate the broader picture. Mm-hmm. And when we started doing this, there's so much stuff to figure out. We need engineers. We need to figure out, you know, what the color's going to look like, what are the screens, et cetera. And you kind of get focused on that. And you sort of, in the back of your head, you know that this is a dating app, but it's possible people could meet and get, you know, married, but it's not at the forefront of, you know, your attention. And so I remember when I found out that we had the first engagement, I was sort of like floored for a minute. I thought, wait, like, Whoa, <laughs> it finally hit me of the broader implications of what we were doing. I sort of, I knew them, but I wasn't really like internalizing them and like thinking about them because I was so focused on the trees, I wasn't seeing the forest. So it was like, it was just like a, a great, uh, uh, you know, adrenaline rush, like a, a sort of a or sort of inspiration and like a sense of like, wait, we are doing something bigger here. Yeah, you know, one of the things that you've said, which it kind of leads me a little bit to my next question and, and what you're talking about right here is that it's, an important underserved market, liberals own education, liberals own media corporations, and we can't let them control our personal relationships to the point that you were making before. When you think about how important the American family is to Western civilization, um, I mean, do you look at something like the right stuff as more than just a dating app, but really as a way to 
reignite kind of the flame that should be the American family and what that means to the future of Western civilization? So I think initially I wasn't thinking at, on, on that level, uh, but it's become increasingly clear to me that that's exactly what's going on here. And, you know, like you were saying, in the schools, in the universities, on the television, everywhere you look, they're brainwashing us. Yeah. And, and you know, we, we have to – what's the best bulwark against that in the long run? And it's the family. It's the home. It's sort of the group of people amidst whom you're raised. And that is really what we're building. Someone actually said a good, a good, friend, uh, a good friend of ours actually uh, mentioned, wow, I love what you guys are doing. And he talked in sort of, these sort of grander terms of what we were doing. And I was like, yeah, like that's really nice. But like right now I need to talk to these developers and figure <laughs> out like why this feature is delayed, right? But she was exactly right. And now that we've had a chance to sort of catch our breath a little bit now that it's launched, we, uh, you know, I, I do think a lot about that quite, quite frequently. And it's 100% correct that we, we're building conservative we're – we're letting conservatives meet each other mm -hmm. so that they can build families together down the road. And, and that will – that is the, the, the strongest bulwark against encroachment on all sides and the brainwashing that the left's trying to do. Yeah. Um, to that point and what you just said there, I, there were a lot of days like that in the White House where, you know, I'd have somebody – remind me, hey, look, this is the importance of what you're doing right now. It's like, well, wait a second. I got to call 27 people back right here. <laughs> then I'll think about the right, importance. Right. But it really is something that, uh, you know, it's probably when you see the success stories, how important that is. And, and uh, I mean, it's really, really great to actually hear that. So that's awesome. Uh, I want to actually, uh, I've loved as I've done my limited research, um, just talking to my wife there for a quick second. Um, I've loved some of the phrases that you guys have on the right stuff. No pronouns necessary. Necessary. Connect with people that aren't offended by everything. And I particularly like this one. If you're single and not on the app, you ain't conservative. Nice, uh, nice play on Biden's uh, you ain't black if you're not voting. For I love me. that you got that. Some people are like, what is this one? <laughs> <laughs> I think everyone kind of knows now. But yeah, well, you know, it's funny about that. Sometimes when I was a kid growing up in Boston, there was this uh, there was this uh, store that sold men's suits, and their motto was, you don't have to pay a lot to look good. <laughs> and I was thinking about that in the context of this because, uh, you know, People are out there paying tons of money. In fact, we initially paid a lot of money with a certain firm to right. do some uh, marketing. And we looked at the stuff we're like, this is very mediocre. <laughs> and like me and John, a couple other guys, uh, James Bacon, you know, and we sat down and we came up, you know, with those with those phrases that you pulled out of there. We didn't pay for that. That's not from yeah. some like, you know, Madison Ave uh, uh, yeah. uh, firm. We just came up with that thinking about like what we want. And I think that that sort of epitomizes the app though. Why? Because this app is really for normal people. Right. Like, it, you know, people are like, well, do you, what if you believe this? That? Listen, it's for all types of conservatives and, you know, all types of dating. But it really is if you always want to meet normal people. If you're just like, you know, John told me actually, he met some some woman on the app who actually turned out she was a model. Right. And she'd had like a really bad experience with this liberal boyfriend. She was not so, she wasn't pretty good political, but she was right. just kind of like sick of certain types of guys. Yeah. And her friend's like, well, why don't you try out to write stuff? And, you know, that she's on there. She's having, you know, a great time. Yeah. And point being that, like, this is really just more for, like, normal people who don't, you know, fly into a rage over, like, pronouns or things like that. Yeah. Uh, but I think that that is ep epitomized also in the fact that, like, a couple of normal guys sitting around were able to come up with those things mm -hmm. instead of having to go out and pay for them. You know, I'm thinking Trump's poll numbers have gone up every single time he gets indicted. Do you guys see that your downloads go up, let's say, if there's a Trump indictment or another political event going on or, like, a president? presidential debate or anything like that? I have to go to our data guys to figure that out exactly. It's a good question. I can tell you that, you know, what helps is obviously when we have, we're reaching lots of people. So, you know, when we're on television or radio, again, thanks for having me, uh, you know, that has a big effect. There is also a tie to kind of like current events and things like that in the sense that, you know, on our, uh, 
on our social media at date right stuff. You should follow us. Okay. Instagram, right TikTok, stuff. whatever you're on. Yeah. But uh, you know, John does these, does these like hilarious videos, and a lot of them will like play off of like current events. Right. And so you know, whenever something happens, you know, there may be a comment on that, and that'll get a lot of views, and then the more views, you know, people wind up downloading the app through that. So there is connection between like ongoing things that are happening and. Uh, and uh, sort of app usage. And I, I do think going into this election season, mm -hmm. sort of, politics is going to be unavoidable. Yeah. It's sort of already unavoidable, mm -hmm. but it's going to be sort of even worse and in your face. And so, you know, we're expecting that uh, we're going to have a lot more people kind of fleeing other liberal spaces to, uh, <laughs> to uh, kind of, you know, convene on the app. You kind of have an expert there in John McAtee at going viral, because if I remember correctly, back when he was a starting quarterback for the University of Connecticut, he went completely viral. And that's one of the things that he was certainly well known for in the campaign uh, as he was just getting started. Yeah, that's right. It's actually an excellent video, and I commend you all to it. Uh, <laughs> John Mack, uh, trick shot quarterback. I think, actually, uh, you're a greater sports authority than I am, but I think that uh, it was probably, I think it may have been one of the first or the first sort of like viral sport trick shot videos yeah uh and and he was behind it absolutely it, it is pretty awesome to watch when you see the different shots that he's pulling off i, I think it's still photoshop but that's okay you know he's <laughs> he, he debates me on that one but uh i want to ask you about peter Thiel being an investor yeah obviously founder of paypal palantir one of the earliest investors in facebook how much has peter Thiel's involvement meant to the right stuff I mean, it's been it's been everything, frankly. I mean, his uh, you know his backing us early on, I think, has been tremendous, both in terms of you know getting attention from the right people and letting people know this is a serious endeavor. Uh, you know, he is kind of you know let us do do our thing, but he's also said anytime you need anything, just just you know give me a call. So yeah. he's been fantastic. Uh, that's got to be helpful, yeah. especially coming yeah. from like you said. I'm sure most of the tech community is kind of closed off to the idea where you have somebody who is looking at it and saying, hey, look, this is a product for a market that uh, that's underserved. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, it's interesting you bring that up, right? Because we're, you know, we're at that stage now where we kind of got it out there. We've got, you know, 150,000 downloads. We've got, you know, 45,000 active, you know, daily active users, et cetera. Not daily, monthly active users. Mm -hmm. But point just being that right now is kind of like when we, we're, we're going to be going out there raising more money. Mm -hmm. And we actually had a, a deal that uh, fall through recently because there was a, a well-known person involved. And this person was like, ah, you know, this is getting too political for me. Yeah. And this is somebody who's sort of already known as a Republican. <laughs> but, but, but the point is, uh, I hate the my weakness. point being that, you know, Teal wasn't afraid of that. We appreciate it. Yeah, uh, that's great. So you kind of touched on this before, uh, and this might be more reiterating, but uh, just, you know, to elaborate a little bit on, I can imagine uh, when you said that 70% of Democrats have said that they would not cross the aisle to date, if you yeah. will. Um, it's got to be really a relief for your users, your downloaders who actually go on a date to not be thinking in the back of their mind, hey, when am I going to let them know that I am conservative? When am I going to let them know? Am I and what kind of a reception am I going to get? Look, I wear it on my sleeve. And probably for me, it's a little different because I've had a last name that has identified me as conservative right. for most of my life. But I certainly can commiserate with somebody who's, you know, going on dates, who's taking the time to out of their busy schedule to go and do that. And now they might find out that they're at a, at a bar and two minutes later, they just get left out because <laughs> yeah. their work, because of where they're working. So uh, 
Great point. Very insightful. And I think, you know, one thing that I like to say is that, you know, this app isn't a forum for people to come together and debate politics. It's a forum for people to come together and have fun dates and meet good people and develop real relationships, uh, you know, if that's what they're looking for. Uh, but the point being, without having the cloud of politics hanging over you. So it's not like this isn't Twitter where you're like coming to, you know, debate some policy issue. It's just we get politics out of the way mm -hmm. so you don't have to worry about it like you were just saying. Hey, yeah. I like you. We can have like a normal conversation. I have a friend in D.C. We were talking before about a small pool. He was just telling me yesterday. Met, met some uh, met, met a woman and having a, you know a good time. And then she, I think it was maybe the second date. She like has this very serious face. Like I need to ask you some questions about your politics. You know something along those lines. And you know he's nervous. I was telling them. And my advice to him is like never wimp out. Just say what you think. A lot of times, you know, even if someone disagrees with you, they'll respect that you're saying it clearly. But it's also the case you can definitely, uh, you know, relationships can uh, can fall apart over that stuff too. So it's, yeah. you have to be prepared to walk away. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I, we were in California. I went. Uh, I, I was actually at a synagogue, mm -hmm. and a guy told me out there. He says, "Oh yeah, I just you know got divorced from my wife because of because she, you know I support Trump." Right. I mean, she she divorced him because she's trying to, now probably there's a little more going on there, right. but you know it was it didn't help. You yeah, know? and and I've heard like similar stories about you know actual relationships breaking up over things like this. So yeah. it's, uh, it's it's something people pay attention to. Yeah, but uh, but yes, I mean this app is again not about you know debating politics. It's about kind of getting that out of the way without having to worry yeah. that that's going to get in the way. Well, that's I think to the point that you made before, which is you know replacing family and uh, religion as the centerpieces of American life, um, I think if you base, you know, relationships off of something flimsier, like politics, as important it is, as it is, um, it's never going to be able to replace what the family is or what uh, what religion can mean to somebody, your faith, your spirituality means to, to Americans. And, and that's where you end up uh, getting situations like that, as sad as they yeah. are, you know? 100%. I uh, want to ask you a little bit about TikTok, because you guys have a viral TikTok where um, Johnny, among other people, certainly are, are showing their exploits, as I said before the trials and tribulations of John McAtee not being able to get past his uh, first or second dates or something like that. Um, but there's obviously a lot of talk about TikTok uh, all around the world here in terms of what it would be. I actually know a couple other conservatives that have built some of their advertising in their business around TikTok. So I've seen the other side of this. What would a potential ban of TikTok do to the right stuff and other conservative companies, let's say? I mean, it, it would be... Potentially fatal, I mm -hmm. think. It, it, we have over seven hundred thousand followers on TikTok. Yeah. Uh, you know, people recognize John all around, and we're not paying for these followers. Mm -hmm. We're not paying TikTok. This is not paid advertising. This is all organic growth. Yeah, we're making funny content. People like it. Mm -hmm. uh, so. Uh, you know, I think it'd be pretty, pretty uh, substantial. It could hurt us. I mean, you know, Instagram, we're big on too. At date right stuff, you should follow us. Mm -hmm. But uh, on the bigger point of, of TikTok, I mean, I, you know, you hear what they say, but my view of it is is really this. Like, you know, before TikTok, before Facebook, people always had, children, kids always had, you know, ways of communicating. There was AIM, right? You know, mm -hmm. and, I mean, there was, they've always had for uh, for discussions and for receiving information. And before that, before the internet, you know, there's television and there's radio and yeah. like someone is controlling the messages. There. Mm -hmm. There's always a puppet master, right? Right. Like maybe the puppet show changes, but there's always, so you always have to worry about that. The bulwark that you build against problems from these types of information is again, the family and sort of the people that you associate with and hang out with them, like you said, family, religion, things like that. And so I think that, you know, the solution broadly to these problems isn't trying to block out every message and put your finger in the dike, you know, mm -hmm. it's really, 
what this app is trying to do, which yeah. is let's find conservatives can meet each other. They can spend time with each other and eventually, you know, build some relationships, have children and inculcate them with values so that when they hear some brainwashing, they're not susceptible to it. Right. So I, I don't think that really like you're attacking a symptom, really, sort of not maybe the cause. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's also it's a little bit odd to me personally to hear people carrying on about TikTok when you know, the main source of brainwashing is in the schools that you send your kids to every day. Yeah. Now, if your kids aren't in public school or they're homeschooled or they're par parochial school, that isn't you know, left wing, which is even the parochial school, I mean, the private schools rather are, are left wing, uh, then fine, you know, maybe it makes sense to have some kind of limitation. But other than that, you're sort of, you're worrying about somebody with a gun a hundred miles away and someone with a knife right at your door. Yeah. And what I mean by that is, you know, the yeah. teachers and universities and the stuff they see on TV, I mean, the stuff that they're teaching them and trying right. to addle their minds with nonsense, hating America, you know, this gender, just for all these mm -hmm. things. Uh, you're worried about what they're going to see on TikTok. Really what's happening, if they're susceptible to the TikTok at all, it's because they've already been made susceptible to it by all the brainwashing that's going on in the schools um, and in other contexts that are closer to home and that, that ought to be dealt with first. Yeah, I think Yanks fan won, uh, I forget exactly what the number, no, it was 23 because of Don Mattingly. Yeah. Yanks fan 23 might have been my AIM account, by the way. You mentioned <laughs> AIM before. But I want to get a little more into TikTok because um, I, I really, w one of the things that I see, especially from your standpoint, and trust me, look, I see the other side of this. Somebody with a daughter, I do get concerned at what they consume on social media as a whole. Really? But when I look at, TikTok in particular, and then you look at some of the other social media feeds that have censored conservatives in so many ways, it's no wonder that conservatives have been able to flourish on TikTok in a way that they haven't on your Facebook, on your Twitter before it was X and Elon Musk bought it, uh, maybe even on Instagram, because you can see where the leftist bias exists in terms of shadow banning. I saw it in my own campaign and what that is. And that gives me a little bit of a different perspective with regards to kind of what TikTok is doing from a uh, uh, allowing kind of all viewpoints on it, if you will. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I, you know, when, when the Hunter Biden laptop got <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, banned basically on Facebook and, yeah. and Twitter at the time before pre-Elon Musk. Yeah. I don't know this for sure, but I don't think they call it TikTok. I don't think <laughs> it was banned there. And that, yeah. well, you know, it was smaller then, but still. Right. My point is it's, the, the the Google sort of Facebook monopoly is much more concerning to me than they are. And you have to reach people where they are sometimes. Like, it's, I think that the brainwashing that's happening, whether it's from TikTok or else, it's sort of, at, it, it, the left is at like maximum. They're already doing everything they can. I feel like the marginal contribution to like the opinions of kids based on what they see on TikTok is uh, is probably small. Yeah. Compared to the, uh, uh, the capability of potentially reaching them with a contrary message that's sort of in a cool format, in a place where they are, that's, you know, done it. And I, I see a lot of conservative content on TikTok personally. So I think it's a it's a great way of reaching them where they already are. And I think that kind of the benefits far outweigh the costs because on the benefit side, you can reach them. And on the cost side, like they're already getting the liberal message everywhere. So what's one more place? Yeah. You know, I think of kind of some of these, uh, I don't want to call them leftist organizations, our Justice Department, yeah. the FBI in particular, targeting uh pro-life conservatives, targeting parents if they have the gall to speak up at a parent-teacher conference, uh, targeting our former boss, Donald, Drew, uh, Donald Trump, and <laughs> some guy that I know named Rudy Giuliani. Okay. Um, it makes me think that the right stuff could potentially be targeted by some of these federal organizations. Have you guys been targeted at all? No, we've not had that problem. Okay, and I do good. want to be clear about that because I think that, you know, one hesitation that someone might have of getting on this app is like given everything that's gone out there, like, oh, what if I'm, you know, marked or, you know, the FBI trusts to go No, we've had no problem like that. Yeah. In fact, one sort of clever 
uh, liberal who was mad at us tried to you know, post something saying that that happened, that he was targeted by it. It was totally false. We looked into it, but the point just being that no, we that problem we have not had at mm -hmm. all. And I and you know, our legal team would be totally on top of that. We will not tolerate that. Yeah. However, we have had problems from tech partners that we've tried to work with. I won't name this one, but it is a uh, music service. Okay. And uh, <laughs> and we were trying to uh, connect. Uh, you know, some of the stuff that we're doing. So you, you can put you can attach music to your profile. Right. App. It's kind of neat. You kind of like pick cool. something that you know. Gives mm -hmm. a sense of sort of who you are. And we know that they do something similar for other dating apps. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I talked to some pretty high people there and they basically came back with, oh, we can't do it because X, Y, Z. And I was like, no, 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 no. Like, that's not how this works. You can do, you know, you yeah. can do it this way. Well, we have this legal reason. No, no, you don't. Because I was like, oh, wait, you're a lawyer. Oh, okay. <laughs> but bottom line is they they uh, they just essentially didn't want to work with us because they didn't say this explicitly, but because we're conservative. And we went to another uh, service and they were happy to allow us to integrate. And we're thankful for that. But we have had that problem. In fact, in, a, in another situation, Situation with another uh, potential partner, we uh, we had a very serious problem, like right before launch, and it would have been basically fatal. If we, wow! And uh, luckily, uh, you know, we we made some calls to people that we knew, yeah, uh, and were able to clear it all up. But the point is, if it hadn't been for like sort of the stuff we'd done at the White House and the people that we knew, mm -hmm. we would have been dead in the water. Yeah. So I can imagine anyone else trying to do you know what we did, failing at the last moment. Yeah. Because they didn't have like the right connections. And so, yeah, we were able to make it through, but like sort of by the grace of God and the connections we had and anyone else would have run into trouble. So they're out there trying to stop us actively. Yeah. And I could see how the leftist media would want to target you guys too and try to make up false claims basically as seeing how they've done this time and yeah. time again. So I'm sure if there's, you know, stuff that you read, I'm sure that there's a lot of stuff that is, uh, let's say sourced inaccurately to put it, to put it in the, in the kindest way. I don't even know why I'm being kind to these fake <laughs> a, news a guys. A friend but, of mine you know. from DC has a very good line. She said to me, they always accuse us of doing what they've already done. Yeah. Just remember that. <laughs> it's true. It's true. I always used to say when they'd say a, a source close to the White House, I said, right. well, is that source sitting in the McDonald's across the street? Because <laughs> they would be close to the White House, right. technically. So, <laughs> okay, let's get back to the White House here. Yes. Um, obviously, the pinnacle of government to work at uh, for the best years of my life. Uh, what was your experience like working in the Trump White House? Fantastic. I tell you, it's just like the movies. Yeah. Uh, and I was just so thrilled to finally be there. I'd always had sort of an interest in politics and particularly to work for uh, for President Donald Trump because he did unconventional things and he thought unconventionally and he was willing to question sort of sacred cows and he gave people leeway. And uh, I like that a lot. Like I've never worked with as good a team as I worked with at the White House PPO, John McEntee, James Bacon, you, know, you and, and, and the others. And, you know, frankly, I had the privilege of sitting with President Trump from time to time. And, you know, he'd always like to hear different viewpoints and, uh, you know, I, uh, and he was willing to do things uh, that other people wouldn't be willing to do just because it's very, you know, Washington is stodgy and no one ever gets fired for hiring IBM. They stay yeah. in business, right? So no, no one gets fired for sort of doing whatever has been done. I mean, just a small example is, and they say it all the time, but, you know, moving the embassy. And I wasn't there when, when all that happened. But the point is so many presidents have promised that no one's ever delivered it. And it's very hard yeah. to actually, because you're there and you're hearing from the Secretary of Defense, and the mm -hmm. Secretary of State, and I'll tell you, oh, don't do it. And your allies. And then. To, to sort of say, no, I'm going to overrule all of you and, and go with your instinct, it's, uh, it's something that's very hard to do and it takes a unique person to do it. And so I was very honored and thrilled. It was it was a time of my life. I mean, I felt the same way about it as you do. It was yeah. fantastic. Yeah. Uh, to that point, I mean, you could even point out the Abraham Accords, right? I, I always say peace in the Middle East was almost like a punchline before actually the Abraham Accords. It was a literal punchline. It was. Do you remember during the, one of the debates, the primaries uh, in 2016, and and they said something like, what would you like to accomplish? Said, I don't know, maybe peace in the Middle East. And, oh, they but it started laughing, laughing right? Yeah. <laughs> so it actually was a punchline. Right, exactly. Yeah. And, you know, obviously things have fallen apart since then, but that's 
if he was there, that wouldn't have happened. Yeah. So. And you can, you can see how, um, you know, within 18 months, let's say potentially on January 20th of 2025, if president Trump is elected the 47th president of the United States, how things would, uh, how things might get put back together here. Um, or, so yeah, go ahead. Sorry. I guess I always say something about that, which is just, you know, I really feel, and I think you probably do as well, that like we're at a very pivotal moment in the country here. I mean, so many things have sort of gone wrong, and there's there's fundamental problems that we didn't have in like previous generations. Yeah. Sort of like people hating America, being sort of a lack of self confidence mm -hmm. in the American project. And I think if the next Republican administration doesn't take drastic action, we may never have another chance. Yeah. And so we, it's just very important that whoever it is is prepared to be bold. And you know, this isn't like previous. This was not a drill. This is not like previous. You can't sort of go in and cruise and do what's going to be done, or we're gonna, we're gonna be in the, we're gonna go over the waterfall. Yeah. Look, I think you're absolutely right. I think you look just uh, not even as far as this current administration going after their number one political opponent and using the judiciary system to do that. Um, we can go on and on about this and fill hours and hours of time on that. But I think you're absolutely right. I think the next conservative. Republican has to go and look at the problems that exist because I think of a lot of the power structures in Washington, D.C. and say, how do we make sure that we return power back to the people for the people, right? Our constitutional, the, the founders uh, mission and goal, if you will. You brought up a really interesting thing on the, the judicial point. Like there are they are destroying probably the most precious asset, which is the credibility of the US justice system. And I, I don't think people like quite realize like there's all these grand pronouncements, oh, justice is blind and no one's above the law and blah, blah, blah. Here's why it matters yeah. because you have to know that property rights are protected. They talked about this, you know, in the in the Fellows Papers, and and people don't really. I don't think people really appreciate it. If you want to build something, we're building a company here. We're spending a lot of time. If it could just be seized from us, yeah. if the property could be taken away, you know, if the if the hard work could just be, it would it would it would completely drain the initiative. Yeah, and we've seen that happen in other countries that have different <laughs> systems. But the point is, if you that the the legal system is really behind everything else. If you don't have a legal system, you don't really you don't have a functioning economy. Yeah. You don't you can't have contracts. You can't enter into a contract because what's going to happen is that people are going to violate it and nothing will happen. And even today, like most contracts that are signed are never litigated. If you had to litigate every contract, you know, nothing would happen. But there's sort of the, the fear that it could be litigated and yeah. you would lose keeps people, keeps people honest. If that falls away, then, you know, we're like Mexico or the Soviet Union. Those countries had constitutions and they had courts and they had laws. In fact, the Soviet constitution had very progressive Laws that you know the left would love what they talked about you know regarding uh, you know gays and etc. All sorts of things. This is like you know already the twenties. Yeah, they didn't enforce it at all. It meant nothing. It was all essentially window dressing. But my point is that if you lose the judicial system, the the whole thing can unravel very quickly. And I'm sorry to say that I don't think the people at the top have a have a proper appreciation for that. Yeah. So you're telling me that even though communism failed the 75 times before there, it won't work the 76th time? Crazy <laughs> enough, that's that's amazing. Actually, I John did a really funny uh, TikTok uh, that you guys should all watch because he said it better than I did. But it was basically, like, you know, when I was a kid, I used to ask my dad, you know, so if socialism doesn't work, why do people still support it? And my dad said, well, because they don't work either. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. <laughs> it works until you run out of other people's that's money, right. as they that's say, right? right? right. Um, I want to talk a little bit about our time on the U.S. Holocaust Board. Sure. I've really enjoyed being on there with you. Uh, recently had a, a very, very uh, powerful meeting in light of the attacks that have happened uh, by Hamas. Um, 
What do you, how do you see the role of the United States Holocaust Museum and kind of our roles as presidential appointees as this board turns over? And, and I, I know I've explained this a little bit to my audience before, but basically it's a board of 65 people, 10 members of Congress, along with uh, 55 presidential appointees that serve five-year terms. So we're at the point now where uh, the Trump appointees were the majority of the board, and now we're kind of becoming the minority of the board as Biden has served close to three years in office. How do you see the role of the U.S. Holocaust Museum? What role should it be? And uh, yeah. Well, I'll, I'll answer you in two parts. First, uh, the, the first thing is that I think, you know, a lot of times you get on these boards and it's kind of honorific and you're you know meant to give donations and that sort of thing. And you can tell people about it and attend the event. Yeah. And you don't expect to be thrust into a moment where you have to make like big decisions. Yeah. And a lot of times I think, you know, you hear people talk about that. Yeah, like I wasn't expecting to have to, you know, even 9-11, Bush always talks about how, you know, yeah. <laughs> that's what not what he was focused on. Yeah. Uh, so... Uh, I, you know, I, I feel a, a burden of that, to be honest, that, you know, here we are amidst these attacks. It sort of, it really wakes you up. It makes, this is very important. And we, and it's, when I graduated from law school, I remember the guy who spoke, I don't remember his name, but it was at Lincoln Center. And he said something that I haven't forgotten, which is like a lot of times in life, you know, you'll be in business, you'll be called upon to make all sorts of decisions. And he said, most of them don't matter, mm -hmm. but there's a few of them that do, and you have to get them right. Yeah. And that's a, sort of a bit about what I feel like right now. Like this, it's been renewed. There's a renewed focus here. And, you know, we have to, we have to get this right. Now, obviously, we're just one entity, but it's an important entity, and it's sort of the one where we have control. We're not in the White House, mm -hmm. right? This is where we can be effective. So the question is, well, what is to be done? Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, you were there. We had a great meeting. I think people were more engaged than ever. Both, you know, Republican, Trump appointees, Biden appointees, yeah. everyone understood the importance of the moment. Question is what to do. As you know, I think that they're, they're going to be having some internal meetings to figure out what the best way to proceed. I, I'll tell you personally, again, not speaking for the museum's Dan Huff's personal opinion, is that, you know, the anti-Semitism that you're seeing is really the product of a, a bigger problem. I felt that some of the discussion uh, was focused on the symptom, not the cause. Mm -hmm. And I think what's really at work here, and this is it's not my insight, other people talk about this, but it's really like a, a viewpoint that's been taught in the university campuses for like the last 40 years, which yeah. is this power dynamic, right? Oppressor versus oppressed. And if you are in the oppressor group, anything, anything, you know, anything that's done to you is justifiable, mm -hmm. right? And this is true of you know white cisgendered people, yeah. as they call us, or yeah. you know Jewish people, and so on and so forth. And I think some people think like, oh, the solution to anti-Semitism is to kind of campaign to place Jews in a higher rung in the grievance ladder. Mm -hmm. But like, that's not the solution. The solution is to disrupt, destroy, dismantle, yeah. root, you know, to essentially uh, 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 dismantle root and branch yeah. this pernicious ideology that sees everything. It's a very, it's Marxist, yeah, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's sort of dichotomy, two different groups, and it's very simplistic and it's wrong. But the oppressor versus oppressed. If you're oppressor, you're evil. If you're oppressed, you're good, uh, et cetera. And so I, I think that the museum has to seriously consider the underlying philosophies that have motivated this anti-Semitism and has to do it in a sensitive way. It's, a, it's not a political institution. You know, I think, you know, we all appreciate that, but you're not going to be effective unless you're prepared to take on what's really going on. And yeah. we, we can't, we can't avoid this moment. Yeah. I think you're absolutely right. I think the only thing that I would even just add to it is the fact that if you think about what, who's kind of taking this on? Many people that are avowed socialists, right? 
in order for socialism to work, you have to uh, exterminate religion, right? Religion has to be out of society in order for it to work properly. So there's no way that you can have Judaism, which is the oldest religion on the books, what Christianity is based off of, what even Islam right. is based off right. of. You have to attack that because if, if you don't, if you allow uh, Judaism to thrive, then uh, the system, the socialist system where government, as we were talking before, kind of replaces religion, it can't, it can't exist. Yeah, properly. and, and I, it was very, uh, I think, uh, shocking to hear people say uh, on the board, oh, you know, my, you know, our parents or my parents who were in the Holocaust, these people are saying they, they warned us this could happen again. And, you know, yeah. you never really think that's true. And now you're sort of in a, but we're kind of in a situation right now where it's like, wow, like I didn't think we'd be in the situation we're in right now. I yeah. Yeah, yeah so, you're right. So it's an odd. Well, what I've what I've loved about you and our meetings is your focus on action points on what can we do to utilize our time on this board where we can actually help try to move the ball forward here. And the nice thing about this last meeting was I saw more people, like you said, whether they were Trump appointees or even some Biden appointees, they were actually focused on the action steps on this and how can we actually yeah. do and, to make and this And there better. were folks who were on the board who've never shown up who showed up. And yeah. I think, you know, everyone is really, everyone is, is, uh, committed to doing something. We got to figure out the right track. So that's, it's very encouraging. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's, before we close up, let's get back to the right stuff yes. over here. How can people learn more about the right stuff? Where can they download the right stuff? Where can they find out more for those right now that may be watching this over Christmas, wish that they had a loved one on their side. And maybe you're looking at 2024. I can see it already. The 2024 Christmas and new years, Donald J. Trump is president elect. And now you have your, your lovely conservative girlfriend, or boyfriend uh, by your side. Exactly. Right Wedding at Mar-a-Lago. Yeah, there you right. go. Exactly. So we are, you know, I think they call this cuffing season, right? You know, people are kind of <laughs> trying to figure out like, man, I got to like find a relationship. But yeah, absolutely. Like, the, so the app, the right, it's called Right Stuff. It's available on the app store. The uh, Android version is coming soon, but right now it's only on, uh, it's only on the iPhone, but you can find it on the app store. If you want to go to our website, Date Right Stuff, also all our social media, and there's some very good content in there, if I may say so myself. Uh, very good. Uh, at Date Right Stuff on TikTok, on Instagram. So, uh, so check us out there and, and, you know, email us with any questions you have and hopefully look forward to seeing you there. Absolutely. And uh, even, uh, you know, if you are not, uh, if you are in a relationship, we're happy to hear that, but you can still follow us on social media because a lot of our content is not specifically dating focus. It's just sort of funny comment, social commentary. So uh, love to see that too. Yeah. Um, any final thoughts, ideas, final pitches to the American public in terms of why, uh, you know, we need to make sure that we're, you know, bringing uh, conservatism back and I just say the family back into the center of life again. Well, I mean, we've been through it. It's, it's, it's the ball work, right? Like this is the thing that you can do. I mean, you can vote, Right. You can contribute. You can support candidates. But bottom line is like you have to start locally. And I mean, I hate to bring this guy up, but if you think about uh, George Soros, he figured, well, I'm trying to all these people trying to influence the federal government. Yep. Why don't I just start with these local DAs? Absolutely. Start locally. Start at home. Yep. Build a conservative community. You know, find someone that, you know, find somebody that uh, that that's right for you, that has the same values and, and just inculcate your children. Teach them the right way by example. You know, by discussion, and I think that you know the right stuff is a uh, is a is a perfect platform to help uh, make that happen. I love it. I think we got the next tagline: defeat George Soros <laughs> by applying to the right stuff. Exactly. That's it. Yes. Perfect. Well, hey, Dan. 
Thank you so much for joining me. I really, Thank you, really Andrew. appreciate it. It's great it. to be here. Good to see you. Of course. Well, hey, look, to all of those out there, uh, Merry Christmas. If you're celebrating the last few days of Hanukkah, happy Hanukkah. Uh, and take a look at the right stuff. There's some great guys behind it. And, uh, you know, you could be in love here in 2024 moving forward. For Andrew Giuliani, Dan Huff, thanks for tuning in to The Andrew Giuliani Show. We'll see you next week.